Hey everybody, welcome to the fourth episode, Season 3, Cryptids Decrypted. A few quick notes before we get started. I uh, just wanted to say thanks to everybody from last week who ended up buying the book and leaving us reviews and stuff. It was one of the best weeks we've had for uh, interaction with you guys to date, so I really appreciate it. Uh, for those of you who haven't yet, I'm an author. You can check out Ashton McCauley on Amazon.com. I've got three books out. Uh, they're all about monster hunting. They're pretty great. Uh, another new feature we have this week is a mailing list. So if you go to macashton.com slash subscribe, you can get updates on when new episodes are coming out, as well as small write-ups on what they're going to be about and maybe facts that didn't quite make it in. And of course, there's going to be author, author-related author emails in there and probably some cat pictures. So, you know, if that's your thing. Uh, it's also got a free short story, which uh, I'm pretty sure is the only holiday story that involves harpoons uh, and wendigos. And, you know, I, I, I'm a big fan of it. I really enjoyed writing it, so I think you'll enjoy it, too. Anyways, enjoy the episode with Benjamin Radford. Uh, this is He's one of my favorite people to interview, so this was a great one. So you've heard him on this podcast before. He's one of my favorite guests. Uh, we're back talking with Benjamin Radford, professional debunker, writer for the Skeptical Inquirer, and author of the new book, Big If True, Adventures in Audio, uh, Oddity. Uh, how are you doing, man? I'm doing good. Doing good. Uh, don't, trying to make the best of these uh, these weird times, as they say euphemistically. I know. Yeah. Last time we talked was in April. And I remember thinking like, all right, like this is, I think we were like just getting locked down in Washington. And I was like, you know, a few weeks, uh, maybe a month at most. And now yep. I work from home until next June, at least. So <laughs> things have changed. Yeah, you know, and it's it's weird to sort of, I mean, it's weird for everybody, but um, you, you know, uh, be, because of the the variety of things that I'm I'm doing, everything from you know cryptids to urban legends, whatever else. Uh, one of the big things that I've been focusing on the last you know six 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 seven months is uh, is uh, COVID conspiracies. Oh yeah, um, and trying to sort of you know uh, sort of sort through some of that and trying to uh, you know you know debunk the obvious yeah, bs and things like that so it's a it, it, it's a full-time job but i was trying to keep up yeah you know it's funny so i actually had one of my later questions about that but let's just let's get into it because i i you know i watched one of your talks recently you gave uh, i think over the summer i think it was called conspiracies 101 and i think it's just it's been a long year of conspiracies here in the u.s uh you know but we've been looking back and this season we're actually so we, we've agreed never to touch UFO conspiracies again because we got burned pretty bad by one of those people. Um, but I think that there are some really interesting conspiracies. Like if you go look at like Mystic 12 and just all this crazy stuff, right? Right. And, and I'm curious what you think. Is there such thing as like an innocuous conspiracy theory or do most of them end up being dangerous? Well, um, that's actually a really interesting question. Um, I think that, uh, that there certainly are some innocuous conspiracy um, ideas out there. Uh, you know, one example that comes to mind is, uh, you know, that we didn't really go to the moon, right? If you, if you, if you believe that, that, you know, that humans didn't land on the moon um, and that the whole the whole moon landing is faked. Um, that's clearly a conspiracy, but it doesn't really have much effect on your everyday life, right? It's not, um, you know, it's, it's whether you believe it or not, isn't going to affect, you know, whether you get vaccinated or whether you, you know, try and break into a lab somewhere to prove it. 
Um, on the other end of the spectrum, of course, you have um, conspiracies that are much more uh, dangerous in some cases and ones that have more uh, effect on your everyday life. Um, so this was, would be where we get into um, you know, anti-vaccination conspiracies or you know, I'm not going to take a vaccine because you know, Bill Gates is putting in trackers as if, as if you don't have an iPhone that can track anything. I, I was just say, as a former, as a former Microsoft tracker, as my job, you know, we don't, we don't need the vaccine. Uh, yeah, that's, that's the least of your problems, right? And so, right. so, so, but, but there's a spectrum, right? And it's actually interesting because you know some, um, you know, you could take, for example, uh, UFO conspiracies, and and like you, I don't, I try to avoid getting too down, too deep down the rabbit hole on those, just because it is such a morass, and it just, it, it, it you just get in super deep, and and a lot of the people, even if you thoroughly debunk it, they're never going to believe it. But uh, like I would take, for example, um, the uh, the the famous conspiracy uh, that led to the Heaven's Gate suicides. Right, you yep. had you had uh, Marshall Applewhite, uh, Bowen Peep, his uh, his uh, wife, partner, or whatever else, uh, and they they spread the conspiracy that was actually promoted uh, by Art Bell uh, at the time. For those who remember this, um, on his show Coast to Coast, that was saying that there was a UFO following Comet Hale Bob, um, which of course turned out to be completely false. Uh, and that that belief sort of blended in with this idea that well Jesus is is coming and this is a sign of the end times and it led to this whole thing. So you know it, it's not really accurate or fair to draw a direct line to say you know belief in UFO conspiracies led to these the deaths of these people uh, because in the real world of course you know such clear connections are are are, are rare. But it's certainly fair to say that it's contributed to it. Yeah, and I think it's it's interesting that the first one you brought up was the idea that we didn't land on the moon, right? And it is, some of these do seem like, they, they are kind of innocuous and fun at first. And then what, what I'm finding more and more and more is just these like um, crossovers or comorbidities, however you want to call it. Because even with even with some cryptids, right, the, the root of the belief comes from a distrust in the government or just this distrust in the idea that somebody is lying to you and there's there's more to it than that. And, right. uh, you know, I've got, I've got a great story from Mongolian deathworms that we'll get to later that kind of solidifies that. But, you know, I, I do just wonder if the, these sort of become like the, the gateway conspiracies in a way. Um, and if, and if they end up leading to things like anti-vaxxers, like, is there a huge crossover between flat earthers and anti-vaxxers and things like that? I think it's, yeah, it's an interesting it, question to consider. <laughs> no, it, it really is, uh, and that's one thing. That, I mean, not to get too far down the the the, the COVID uh, conspiracies, unless you want to, but that that's really been an interesting uh, confluence of of otherwise sort of disparate agendas that I've that I've seen and I've written a couple pieces about. Is you know the 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 concerns about vaccinations go back centuries. I mean, you know, if if you go back and you look at when uh, the smallpox. Uh, vaccine was, was first uh, developed and in uh, Edward Jenner in, in uh, uh, hundreds of years ago. Uh, soon after that was 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 created, um, within within years you had uh, anti vaxxers in in England and elsewhere that were saying this is ridiculous. This is you know this is unnatural. Um, and talking you know that 
this whole this whole notion that this government overreach it's just it's amazing how how the same themes come up again so the, again there's this long standing entrenched anti vaccination uh, sentiment that sort of blends in very easily with conspiracy theories and you see this for example uh, with the the viral video in May you may recall the the pandemic video mm-hmm yep which uh, was just all over the place and I and others uh, spent a fair amount of time debunking it and dismissing it. Uh, anyway, uh, but that was, there has been this really interesting sort of um, uh, blend of different, different people coming together. So you have, you have the, you have alternative medicine practitioners uh, and, you know, alt med people who, um, you know, they're practicing in, in a, they're often practicing, you know, non-medicine that is medicine that has never been proven to actually work uh whether it's homeopathy or whatever else and so they're inherent in their belief system is this notion that well the reason that this isn't legitimized is because you know the you know <laughs> big pharma doesn't want you to know that just drinking water you know uh, can, can do that or can cure cancer or you know raw vegetables or whatever else and so you have this this inherent notion in you know don't trust the medical authorities and then, so you have those people there, and then you also have the the anti-vaxxers there, and then you have the conspiracy theorists there, uh, and then in some cases you even have QAnon, right? <laughs> so you have this. So that's one thing that's really sort of interesting in 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 some in some cases dangerous uh, about, for example, the the anti-COVID uh, vaccination beliefs, is they're coming from. A, a variety of sources that wouldn't necessarily have anything in common, except that it's all. You know, underlying it is don't trust the government and, you know, fear this and that. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's been a particularly like it's been a particularly good year for conspiracy incubation or well, good four years, really, uh, where it's yeah. just like I think that conspiracies have bred and grown to the point where like it does feel like with modern conspiracies, there's not a lot that can just be fun anymore to, to look yeah. at like. You know, I love going back and looking at these and like there's they're like, oh, there's this secret military base underneath a, an airfield somewhere that's that's very unused. And it's like that's all super interesting, but it's you know it's hard it's hard to look at it without getting into the more serious nature of what drives these conspiracies. Right. Yeah, yeah and oftentimes of course it's it's a it's a lack of I mean there's a couple things, as you know. One of them is a, a, an underlying distrust of the government which frankly, to, to some degree, is valid and useful, right? I mean, does the government lie to us? Absolutely. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> yeah, there, that's not a, that's not a of course, uh, the, the, the government, you know, properly speaking, all governments lie to the people on some level, for, and in some cases for legitimate reasons, right? I mean, um, you know, so there's, there's, there's disinformation campaigns. That doesn't mean that anything the government says is inherently false. It just means you have to apply critical thinking to it. Um, and one of the other factors uh, is, you know, as you know, a lot of times conspiracy theories emerge in a vacuum uh, of, of information, right? It's where, where, where the lay people have, have, uh, have some belief that information is being kept from them. So it's either, um, again, it's, it's typically information that they, they personally can't verify, right? And so, you know, that, that's why, you know, for people who believe that we didn't go to the moon, they, you can't, they can't go to the moon and see if there's footprints there, right? So they're saying, well, all the information is filtered through NASA. Well, 
yeah, that's because that's that's how we got there. You 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 can't build your own rocket ship if you want to if you want to raise the money. Somebody feel, tried. <laughs> yeah, yeah, feel free. But oh, it's the same thing with you know Area Fifty One, right? It's like you know the, the government, uh, you know, it's a it's a testing area, uh, and there's legitimate reasons for the government to have spaces where they they test, you know. Uh, aircraft and surveillance. I mean, there's there's legitimate reasons for that, right? But it, but any time that the, the government, uh, anytime the government or, or for whatever reason the public can't access, they, they can't just walk in and look at whatever they want. Like, well, okay, what are they really hiding? It's like, well, okay. <laughs> we're imaginative creatures, human beings. You know, like whenever yeah. there's a dark space, we're gonna put dragons in it. Yeah, yeah, and it's. I just find it fascinating. You know, you, again, you look at the 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 evolution of conspiracies because you know, for for uh, as I think I mentioned in the talk you're referring to, you know, for, for for most of human history, there really weren't conspiracies per se, um, because there was you know people's lives were you know in their fishing village or their farming village in Europe. I mean, there was no, there's nothing to be. <laughs> There, there's, there's nothing to be a conspiracy about, right? It wasn't really until you have uh, the, the, you know, movable type and you have, you know, uh, different alternative opinions and, and views. And then you had, you know, of course, for a lot of time, for much of human history, it was uh, the, the, the main source of knowledge was, uh, was religion. So you had priests and, and, and the Bible, and that was, you know, everything you want to know right here in this book. Yep. And then after a while, people are like, well, hold on here. Like, you know, is this really true? And are there alternative, you know, points of view that maybe, you know, dismiss that? And then when you have that, suddenly you have two seemingly authoritative sources that may be saying different things. And that plants the seed. Well, hold on here. You know, I've always been taught this is true, but this, this other, this other person or book, whatever else is saying something different, you know, who's lying. And of course, the answer might be neither one of them's lying. They're just different points of view. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's just particularly sticky when we have all this information at our fingertips. I think that's a huge, huge piece of it. It's just, mm-hmm. it's very easy to become an armchair scientist these days. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm living proof with our podcast here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and I would even argue that there's actually a problem of too much information. Um, and I, I sort of say that reluctantly as somebody who is a writer and loves information and generally feels that the more information humans have about anything in the world, the better, right? Because the, the, the better information we have about, you know, how to solve problems and engineering problems or routes. But there comes a point, and we may already be there, where there's just literally too much information um, it, with, with Wikipedia and the number of, you know, blogs, there's just so much out there. And, and the, the problem isn't the quantity. The problem is that our human brains can't process it all. And so we, there's, because we tend to cherry pick and we you know, have confirmation bias, um, it's easier than ever to whatever your point of view is, whether you believe that, you know, that uh, the earth is flat or whether you believe X, Y, or Z, if you have access to the internet, you can find a group of people, in some cases, experts, or I'm using air quotes, experts, uh, who will say, yeah, you're right. And it's, it's, it becomes this echo chamber, and it makes it all the more difficult to, to tease out which information is good. Yeah. Now, I think that's actually a decent segue into your new book, because this is, this is a, basically a collection of investigations you've done over time, right? 
Yeah. So yeah, my new book, uh, Big If True, Adventures and Oddity, as you mentioned, um, it's a collection of, uh, of uh, columns that I've written for Skeptical Inquirer Science Magazine, uh, where I've been a columnist for I don't know, like 15 years or something. Um, and I, I had, you know, I, as you know, I've done a couple books in the past. We've talked about them, but I thought it would be uh, interesting and fun and hopefully useful to revisit the information uh, in these columns. Some of them were sort of old and, and not worth dusting off, but most of the topics uh, are pretty evergreen. Um, and in my column for, for the magazine, uh, my column is unique for a couple reasons. One is that it's basically a Q&A column. So in the mag in Skeptical Inquirer magazine, for those who aren't familiar with it, uh, we have a variety of regular columnists. Uh, for a while, we had the, the late Martin Gardner, the late James Randi, and others, uh, Joe Nickel and Massimo Polidoro, and so on. And I sort of I sort of was brought into these ranks, or I sort of wet, <laughs> wedged my way <laughs> into the ranks, if you will. Um, and I said, okay, well, why don't we, I mean, these are all interesting, but you know, uh, I, as, as the then editor, uh, or the then managing editor, um, I would occasionally get e people emailing me personally asking me what I thought about these things. And I had done some investigations, um, but you know, I, I, I wasn't writing a regular column or anything. And so I realized, well, why not go ahead and, uh, and t you know, say, okay, well, you're asking me this, let's find out and turn it into a column. And so basically it turned into, as I mentioned, a Q&A column where people would write in. Uh, sometimes there were other skeptics. Sometimes there were journalists. Sometimes there were just random people that stopped me on the street and said, what do you think about this weird thing? Um, and I said, well, well, you know, these are, these are topics that everybody's talking about, or at least some people are talking about. And so why not go ahead and, and use that as fodder uh, and as a launching pad to to dig into some of these mysteries. Yeah, and it's uh, there's there's quite a few like interesting topics in here. And I know in your email you mentioned a story about a toucan man. So you yes. know you know I got to hear that. Like that's <laughs> <laughs> I like even looking for research, I couldn't find a whole lot on the toucan man. I found a bunch on the duende, which is something you sent as well, which you said right. this might be a version of, but nothing on the toucan man. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll tell you the quick story. It's a fun story. So, um, and that was one of the things that I, was, I enjoyed about about doing this book is that even though it's a collection of my my older columns, uh, a lot of them are unusual and they're fresh. I mean, I didn't really just want to rehash something that, that's been done a million times. Um, and so it was kind of fun sort of dusting off ones and sort of revisiting them and updating them. And this was a case where I had gotten an email um, actually, it had been sent to Jan Brunvand, uh, who's a famous folklorist, and he's considered the, the sort of grandfather of urban legends. Um, and uh, a woman had contacted him asking him for his advice. Uh, and uh, at the time, Jan was, um, he's now retired, but he, uh, he, he couldn't get to it, and he wasn't sure, <laughs> frankly, wasn't sure what the hell to do with the question. So he's like, Ben, look at this. <laughs> I'm like, all right, thanks. Um, and uh, long story short, so anyway, the, this woman, uh, I think her name was Amy, um, uh, e emailed this this story, and she said that she had. Um, I'm going to summarize it quite a bit for for uh, for here, but you can, of course, it, it's one of the one of the sections in the book. And she talks about. Uh, she says she's a student at a college in Illinois, and uh, she she talks about uh, going to the Monteverde Cloud Forest in Costa Rica. 
Uh, and I, I've been there uh, myself a couple times. So I was like, oh, yeah, Mom, I got a connection there. So that's kind of cool. And she, um, she talked about when she was um, – when she was a teenager and she was in middle school um, and she, she'd gone down there with a the class um, and she'd heard uh, like a flute coming from outside the hotel. And I'm reading this. I'm like, okay, <laughs> That's, you know, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not seeing any mystery here so far, you know, people play flutes. It's a, it's a thing there. Uh, but no, there's more to the story. So uh, she, she was saying that um, she found this a bit odd, but you know, whatever. I mean, sometimes they have recorded music or, you know, could be somebody playing the flute. Uh, but she said that her bunkmate uh, had had a, a, a weird dream. Um, and, uh, and that was some, that some, some toucan figure attacking her. And then she, uh, she herself, uh, went to sleep listening to this. Um, and, uh, and, and she had this sort of this vision of this doll, this, uh, tall, dark figure approaching from the corner of the room, uh, and strangling her. And she woke up screaming and was freaking out. And, um, uh, so the next morning, uh, she, she was, you know, woke up and was telling her, her classmates about what had happened and other people, other people say, well, you know, I didn't hear a flute. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm right next door. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, and so, um, they had, uh, uh, so anyway, it's sort of, the story sort of passed along where, you know, like whatever, this is kind of a spooky story. Uh, but later on, uh, a couple years later, she told she told her experience of of, of this uh, to somebody who had um, another group who who also just come come back from Costa Rica, um, and they said, "Oh yeah, that was the toucan man." Huh. And she's like, "What?" <laughs> and she said, "Yeah." The, um, uh, so the, they explained that again. They had just the, the second group had just come back from the, from Costa Rica, and their guide had told them this legend or is it <laughs> of the toucan man? Uh, it's a man in the forest who hypnotizes children with a flute and kidnaps them. Uh, sometimes for a short period of time, sometimes for longer. Uh, and then, and then, um, and then uh, sometimes returns them. Um, and she became convinced that she had had a vision uh, of the toucan man, or maybe, you know, it had come to her in her sleep or something. So, so Amy contacted me, said, I know this is kind of weird, but I'm just telling you, this is my story, whatever else. And I'm like, okay, then. So the first thing that came to me, and as, as you know, one of my, one of my interests and background is in folklore. So I'm immediately thinking of this from an investigative point of view, from a folklore point of view, whatever else. And the first thing I think of is uh, the Pied Piper legend, right? Mm-hmm. Where you had uh, a, a mysterious figure, um, come and play a flute, uh, leading off children. <laughs> so, uh, there, there are of course some different, there's some differences in the legends, of course, in, in the original Pied Piper story. Um, the, the, the Pied Piper does this, uh, after the villagers in the German town of Hamelin refuse to pay him for ridding their town of rats. Uh, but nonetheless, there are, there are you know, a couple, couple things I'm trying to piece together here. Um, and so I was trying to answer her question, but I'm like, uh, you know, I can only do so much, right? I, she's telling me the story from when she was a teenager. So this is years earlier. I wasn't there. She's, you know, she's the main source here, but I'm like, oh, well, let me, let me, let me, let me see if I can tackle this. So 
as I mentioned, I'd been to Monteverde and, and I don't remember hearing about the Tuque man, but it doesn't really mean anything. Um, but I did some research uh, online and also in my, in my library here. Uh, and I found almost nothing on the Toucan Man. And that sort of raised a flag for me because, um, you know, I, <laughs> this is, uh, it seems that the, the Toucan Man story came about from a tour guide, uh, which is fine. But <laughs> if you've been on tours, you know that they tend to, what's the word I'm thinking of? Embellish. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> they're they're there to tell a good story, right? It's like, oh well, you know, it's it's a, the typical campfire stories, you know. Well, on this very night, twenty years ago, the hook handed a killer, blah blah blah. Um, but so I'm like, okay, well, but I think there, there's got to be more to this. And so, anyway, long story short, when I when I was researching it, I finally concluded, and I think I'm right, um, because of course I do, uh, that the toucan <laughs> man, it's probably a version of the duende legend which i which i had um which i had uh, researched at, um in in belize and also in, in nicaragua and costa rica as well and so that was what that was sort of what made me sort of connect the two um and the the the, the duende um is a magical man in in uh, in central american folklore uh sort of akin to british elves and, and fairies uh, in some ways um, and like the toucan man, he's had to live in the forest and sometimes abduct children. And um, I, so I, I don't, I, I didn't find any reference to a toucan man in my library, but I, I do have several books and resources on the Duende, uh, including books that I bought in, in Central America. And so, um, so uh, the, the Duende often, like, like the toucan man, uses music uh, to enchant people. And again, this is part of classical legend. You know, the the the, the god Pan uh, had the flute, uh, of course, so with the, the cloven hoof, and things like that. Um, but anyway, so the story was that that again, uh, the the duende, which which is a legend in that era, absolutely, um, and it had these 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 echoes of the story. So. Um, basically I wrote back to her, uh, Amy, and I said, you know, this is an interesting story. I, I looked into it. Uh, my best guess is that, uh, this is, it's a ver it's a, it's a, you're actually referring to a Duende story, but that either, uh, either the tour guide or the girls, um, who were telling you the story years later, um, or soon afterwards, um, in high school had sort of put their own twist on it, but that's probably what it was. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, and it, one of the things about the about the the duende is that um, uh, so again he's a small figure, sort of a dwarf, uh, usually three or four feet tall, um, and there's a couple of characteristics. One of them is uh, that his feet are backwards. Huh. And uh, and when I was in Belize uh, interviewing people about this, I'm like, well, you know, yeah, there's a duende. You know, they're they're duende in the forest. I'm like, okay. And they, they showed me the, the backward feet and they explained that the reason that the feet are backwards is because the Duende is a trickster. Uh, and so if you find little footprints, uh, then, and you try to follow them, you'll go, you'll be going in the wrong direction because, <laughs> because the footprints say he's going that way. He's actually coming that way. Yeah. Uh, and he said to have a little red hat and things like that. 
And, uh, and I'll just tell you one other quick story. So when I was, uh, when I was researching my Chupacabra book, uh, I spent uh, about a week in the, in the jungle between uh, Nicaragua and Costa Rica. Um, and, uh, I, I was, I was, it's, it's mentioned in my book, Tracking Chupacabra, but, um, while I was there, uh, I hired a, a local guide, um, in the, in a, in the Indomaze bio, biopark reserve. And I spent some, spent a couple of days with him and we were looking, I was interviewing him about the Chupacabra. Did he believe in it? You know, if Chupacabras existed, you know, what sort of animals would they be preying on? Things like that. Anyway, um, so that was interesting and we found some cool stuff. But, um, and it was this, again, it's a very remote area. Uh, you, you have to take a, a plane to Managua and then a bus and then uh, two, um, uh, two boats um, and canoes, basically. So you're, you are, if, if you injure yourself, you are literally 10, 12 hours away from the nearest hospital. Um, so anyway, it was super remote. And when we were coming back uh, in, in the village on the way back, um, uh, I, you know, just coming in from spending a, a week in the, in the jungle and I was asking around, I said, oh, as long as I'm here, let me ask about the Duende. Um, and so I asked the, the, the woman that was running the hospital, she said, oh yeah, we have Duende here. And she said, in fact, there was a local boy who was kidnapped by a Duende. Um, and it was, she said it was about, it was about 20 years ago, but yeah, there was some local, it was a baby and he was a baby and he was abducted by a Duende. Uh, and then he was found several days later uh, in the jungle. And I'm like, well, this is, you know, my, my investigative folklorist ears are pricking up like, wow, this is cool. You know, is, is he still here? Can I interview him? Um, and he says, yeah, he's still around. He says, well, actually, he's, um, he's a, a park ranger in the uh, bio park. So as it turns out, I had just spent <laughs> nearly a week with this guy who had been abducted, allegedly, by a duende as a baby. And I didn't even know it. I didn't find out until I was already back. Oh, so, geez. Uh, yeah, I was like, oh, I wish I had known. I wish I had asked that. But it would have been cool to like, I mean, not that he would have necessarily remembered it, but it'd be fascinating to interview somebody who, according to his beliefs and those of his community, was abducted as a child by a presumably legendary or magical figure um so <laughs> yeah you know and it's interesting like those those firsthand accounts right that's like that's what a lot of the evidence for this stuff hinges on so those are always the most interesting to hear yeah and i remember you know listening to you talk about how the how you trace down the chupacabra myth and and talking to the, like the first person that originally basically spread it like it's it's mm -hmm. it, that's that's so interesting yeah, it really is. Uh, and you, you, you sort of, you know, just to sort of see how, you know, again, it's folklore, it, it's, it's social media, it's media literacy, it's sort of seeing, you know, who said what to when, when did it appear, um, you know, with the Chupacabra is originally just a woman. Um, and actually, this, this, now that I think about it, this is actually the 25th anniversary of the Chupacabra. <laughs> Oddly yeah. enough, Chupacabra is 25 this year. Uh, so I guess he can, he can, he can drink, uh, has in Canada for a while now, but, um, yeah, sort of a young pup in the, in the crypto community. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just interesting going back into, you know, the, the first person that saw it and who did she tell and what did she say happened? And then you had UFO believers come in and sort of co-opt her story. And that's one reason why the, the, the Chupacabra legend has lots of, um, alien and extraterrestrial and conspiracy theories involved in it. And, and then local local news uh, started talking about it, and then sort of the, the local 
version of the National Enquirer. Tabloids were telling stories about chupacabras. Uh, and then about a year later, it was profiled in the X-Files in 1997. And then <laughs> went global from there. Yeah. And I think, you know, so it's funny talking about a young pup in the encrypted community. Recently, we went after kind of an old pup uh, that I, I, had, I had heard about. Actually, I did it in a Truth or Cryptid, which is a game we used to play on here like a while back. Uh, yeah. Mongolian deathworms. Yes. These are, God, this is, this was just a strange, bizarre myth. And actually, like, as we researched it, it ended up being one of the more tame cryptid myths that we've looked into because really it's just this you know long intestine worm or reptile whatever you want to say in the in the gobi desert um and and you know we ran i ran across an article from you actually when i was when i was researching it so i'm curious you know what did you make of the mongolian death worm well um the mongolian death worm is it's one of those monsters that i have not personally researched i've not i have not been to mongolia um unfortunately yeah, the gobi desert is not nice <laughs> Yes, it's a little harsh. Uh, so I, I've been to a, been a lot of places, primarily in, in South America and Africa, but not Mongolia. So I unfortunately haven't had the chance to go there uh, firsthand. But yes, I've done some research on it, uh, primarily drawing on uh, on research from uh, authors and investigators such as Carl Schuker and Richard Friedman. Uh, Freeman. Um, and yeah, so basically, I mean, if you already talked about it, I'll, I'll just sort of give the overview. But basically, the idea is. Um, that it's this sort of large fat worm uh, up to about uh, three feet long um, with spike-like projections on either end. And of course, I'm, I'm envisioning like, you know, like, like baby dune, you know, sandworms yeah. coming up. Um, and they, uh, and again, this is sort of directly out of Star Wars and Dune, but you have these, uh, the, the idea is they're, they're, uh, they're sort of like sand lions, uh, those little tiny uh, specks that, 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 that make these sort of uh, conical traps for, for ants to walk into and then they, they eat them up, where they basically lie in wait just below the, the desert surface uh, and then they wait for somebody, probably some intrepid traveler or wayward dog or what have you, to then it jumps up out of the sand in this uh, suitably, suitably cinematic um, way. Um, and the reason they call it the Mongolian death worm, as you know, is that it? Uh, it's basically the. It's got a million ways to kill you. It'll if it if it can't kill you some way, it'll kill you another way. So in some legends, it um, it spits a stream of of, of venom. Uh, uh, another uh, another version is that uh, it actually can electrocute uh, um, its victims. And of course, both of these are actual genuine you know, defense mechanisms uh, in, in nature, right? There's the electric eel. There are you know, uh, uh, some animals that, uh, that spit venom, primarily snakes and things like that. So, you know, the, so the, it's interesting in that, again, it's sort of this, these somewhat plausible you know, mechanisms that actually exist in biology that, that are said to sort of come together in this, in this worm in the Gobi Desert. But um, so uh, the consensus seems to be that uh, the, the Mongolian death worm, as interesting and cool and terrifying as, as it would be to find one, probably doesn't exist, but maybe uh, the, you know, the, 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 um, the, the early reports and, and beliefs about it may be related to uh, 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 one exaggerations by one of several 
known animals. Um, uh, for example, a sand boa snake or a worm lizard, things like that. Uh, and that, that by itself would be, would be par for the course, right? We, there, that's one of the explanations for mermaids. Um, there are many people that believe, and I, I think it's probably true, that at least some early sightings and sightings, you know, you, <laughs> use the word sightings however you want, of mermaids were in fact uh, dugongs or other animals that are, were, were sort of seen at the surface that from a distance could look human-like. Uh, so th- there's lots of animals uh, around the world that have, that have, you know, sort of, that there may be some, uh, bi- some biological basis to it, and then it sort of got embellished as the legends added to it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, with this, with this one in particular, it was interesting because we, we, we've looked a lot into, you know, movies and film and stuff like that after, especially after talking with you about the chupacabra, right, and species. Mm-hmm. And this was an interesting case where the, the myth might have actually just inspired pop culture. Uh, You know, with like, because it's been, it was around long before Dune and certainly long before Tremors. But I I think that Tremors in a huge way, uh, (laughs) as much as you can say, took inspiration from, what a strange film, uh, (laughs) took inspiration from this myth. And, um, you know, one thing in particular that I thought was interesting researching it was uh, one of the few people that has actually gone out and done these is a guy named Ivan Mackerel. Have you heard of him? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, and that's what I was talking about earlier with uh, all of this stemming from a distrust in the government, because his story was that he had pictures of himself with American GIs liberating his city at the end of World War II, yet the government told him it was only Russians that liberated the city. Uh, and so he had this, this dissonance with his government, hmm. and that led him to start investigating strange things uh, Interesting. like the I, Mongolian I, death worm. I, didn't, I hadn't heard that angle to it. Yeah, it was it, it was pretty fascinating. He was actually he is my favorite part of of the entire research for the Deathworm because he like you know tried to find Dracula's castle and like all sorts of just right. exactly what you would expect from from like a research a fringe researcher. It was great. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, and and not to get too far afield, but I mean that you know the the whole the the whole trying to find Dracula's castle is. is Again, from a folkloric point of view, I mean, you know, and again, not not to get too far afield, but I mean, you know, Dracula is a perfect example of something that that there is no. I mean, there there are people, as you know, there are people to this day who claim to be descendants of of, of vampires and 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 Dracula, uh, people who you know they they they're. Um, you know, they, they, they sometimes, you know, drink blood or they have little samples of blood and there's this whole, you know, sub community. Um, and, and some of them, again, they, they claim to be part of this bigger tradition, but the, the bigger tradition they're referring to is a folkloric one. I mean, you know, <laughs> Dracula was invented by Bram Stoker. Uh, there were certain, you know, there, he drew on, you know, legends of, of Vlad Sepish and others, but I mean, it's sort of like saying, you know, yeah, I'm drawing on, on tradition of Indiana Jones. Like, okay, you know there's a fictional character, right? I mean... Hey, not to some of us. That's a way of life, all right? <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'm not knocking it. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Indiana Jones, but it just, it just, it's one thing to sort of, you know, model yourself in that tradition. It's another thing to sort of seriously look someone in the eye and say, well, you know... Um, the, the great Dr. Jones. <laughs> right, yeah. And you're like, okay, you know, that's, you know, okay. <laughs> you know, Spielberg, right? Like, 
Right. Uh, it's uh, we can trace that one pretty quickly. But anyway, it's uh, it's fascinating. But but no, I mean you, you bring up a, a again an interesting angle to it in terms of the the intersection. And you and I have talked about this before. Is the intersection of pop culture and 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 sort of you know cryptids and what people believe in the real world and you can look at it you know you can look at again chupacabra and species you can uh, mongolian deathworm and tremors you can look at uh slender man um and people who you know the, the the two wisconsin girls that that stabbed their friend nearly killed her because they believed that it slender man had sort of manifested and was so there's all these really interesting uh, blends in in uh, in in their book Abominable Science. Um, uh, uh, Daniel Locke and Don Prothero talk about the, they have a couple of interesting sections about um, how uh, the the uh, the creature and uh, one of the creatures in, in King Kong uh, may probably actually influenced uh, Loch Ness monster sightings. Uh, so it's it's just fascinating to sort of see the 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 the, the give and take of these things. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, I think another really interesting example that we've covered this season of something that uh, spanned from pop culture, and I know that you've covered as well, uh, a little film called The Exorcist and a place called Amityville. Yes. Uh, so you've, you've done some work on the Amityville horror. Like I, I had no idea how wacky the, the, like the creation of this legend ended up being with like the, the bottles of wine between DeFeo's lawyer and the people in the house, like it just insanity. So I, uh, you know, what, what, what's your take on Amityville? How did you come How did you come across that myth? Yeah. So the Amityville story, um, you know, it, it's one of, uh, one of those sort of classics, right? So you've got, and it's, it's one of those, you know, maybe the, the, the big three or big five, right? So you've got, you've got these, these well-told Hollywood stories, as you mentioned, the, the exorcist would be one of them. Uh, Amityville horror is one of the, uh, uh, the classics. And then since then you have sort of the, the, the B level, if you will, uh, conjuring films, right? We have sort of, Oh man. Yeah. yeah and that and that's couple a, in real life is wild too. Jesus. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, but yeah, so in, in a nutshell, you know, in the case of Amityville specifically, um, yeah, so you know, it's it's uh, the 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 fictional version of the case is pretty well known. Uh, the the home at uh, uh, 112 Ocean Avenue in Amityville, um, and yeah, so it's and one of the interesting things about the Amityville story specifically is that uh, there is uh, there you know as with the Exorcist story uh, that, that William Peter Blatty wrote about and then William Friedkin made a film of. Uh, there's a grain of truth to it, right? So there actually were murders, as you know, at that house. Um, and it was, uh, the, the murders uh, weren't committed by, you know, Satanists or, uh, or <laughs> ghosts or, or unseen entities, but by um, Butch DeFeo, who was the youngest son of the family, I think in 70, 74, I think. Uh, and he killed uh, six members of his own family in the house. Um, and, uh, so there, there really was a mass murder in the house, uh, and Butch DeFeo's, uh, he was pretty clearly, I mean, he was the only one left alive and it was pretty clear that he'd done it and it was all the evidence is pointing to it. So he was jailed. Um, and normally he would inherit the house, but he killed him. So <laughs> there's laws like, yeah, well, you know what, if you kill your parents, then the inheritance laws, uh, tweak. So he didn't get the house. It was put up for sale. Uh, it was sold uh, a year or two later to George and Kathy Lutz, who moved in with their three kids. And if you've seen the Amityville horror stories, uh, the films, then, of course, that, that's, that's who the story focuses on. 
Um, and uh, soon afterwards, the Lutzes, uh, they, they told all these stories of encountering bizarre, supernatural, terrifying things, uh, uh, hinges and cabinets opening and closing, swarms of flies and noxious slime and demonic faces, blah, 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 all the stuff you can see in the film. Um, and one of the interesting parts about this is one, one thing to keep in mind here, of course, is that, is that the Lutzes knew about the, the, the house of history before they bought it. The DeFeo murders were, was widely known. This was not a secret to anybody, right? You know you're buying a house where people died. You're, we're fine with that. Oh, okay, that's cool. Um, and as it turned out later on, um, the, uh, the uh, I mean, m- meanwhile, there was a, there was a book uh, by, by Jay Anson who published uh, The Amityville Horror True Story in 77 that became a bestseller. Um, and uh, Ed Lorraine Warren, uh, the famous demonologist uh, or notorious demonologist, <laughs> depending on your point of view, uh, inserted themselves into the story as they often have. Um, and it later turned out through research by Rick Moran and uh, Joe Nickel and others that, um, as you know, it, it sort of it all it all came crashing down when people were actually uh, trying to look into the so-called true story behind the true story. Uh, it just fell apart. Um, a lot, lots of lots of the claims were were un, unproven. Many of them were disproven, uh, and it later turned out that part of the story came up because Butch DeFeo's lawyer was looking for a way to get him off. Right? It was pretty clear yeah. that he he killed the family. Uh, everybody knew it. The police knew it. Everybody knew it. And okay, well, yes, he killed it, but the devil made him do it. So it's the classic, you know, don't blame me. It was evil spirits. Uh, so that that was part of the origin of the the Amityville story was it was defense lawyers plan to get his to get his mass murdering uh, client off and the jury of course saw right through it they didn't they didn't believe a word of it <laughs> yeah he got three um, life sentences I believe <laughs> yeah so that that didn't work from a from a from a defense uh, defense point of view that didn't work from a publicity point of view uh, certainly for Jay Anson uh, and the Lutzes uh, it was very profitable. <laughs> Yeah, they definitely had dollar signs in their eyes for sure. Yes. Like the Lutzes, at least the older Lutzes, really tried to keep that keep that myth up, and yes. they were capitalizing. Like it, it's funny too to like look at the proximity to The Exorcist because the the film released in 1973, and then I believe this all comes out in about 1975, 1976, some, yeah. somewhere around there. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. There's there's a really interesting um, cause and effect, um, or certainly a, a, a strong influence. Uh, I, I'm I'm certain that had The Exorcist not been a blockbuster film, which is still, of course, praised and talked about to this day, uh, that um, the Amityville story would either not have been told or it wouldn't have gotten much attention. Um, it, it's within the context of this blockbuster supposedly based on a true story horror film of this boy's exorcism and all this, uh, well, in true story, a boy in, in, in the film is, is a girl, Reagan. Um, but, but, you know, Anson and the Lutzes and to some degree, um, the Warrens, they're like, this is, this is, a, this fell in our laps. This is a gift right here. Right there. At the time this was all happening, right. At the time when, 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 well, at the time this is allegedly happening and, and DeFeo's murder and, and, all that the exorcist was was 
uh, you know, was, and to, to a lesser degree now, still is a blockbuster film. It was, everyone's talking about it. And the fact that it de- involved, you know, evil spirits and demons and Ouija boards and, uh, and death and murder, they're like, this is perfect, right? This is, uh, so it was this sort of, this stroke of genius to capitalize on the, on the popularity and interest in, in the occult and, and, and the, the exorcist story. Um, it's no wonder that they, they, they ran with it. Yeah. And you know, it's, I, I think that these, these sort of paranormal stories, they, they do stick around. I, they, there's nothing to me that's as gosh, like um, just widespread as Amityville. Like I think that it's hard to find somebody in the U S who hasn't heard that name or doesn't mm-hmm. know that story, even to this day, which is just wild to me. And they keep, they keep making movies about it. They just, they, they really like that story. Well, they really like the story and they got the rights to it and you know, they're going to keep milking it. Um, uh, but as, as you mentioned, as we talked about before, you know, there's the sort of the, the second tier stuff, which is the, the Warren universe and the conjuring films. And, and those are lesser known, but in the same category, these are all cases in which there was supposedly some, so supposed true story behind it. Oftentimes, uh, you know, when you start digging into it, of course it's, it's, it's pretty quickly debunked. Uh, but nonetheless, you have uh, supposed true stories of, of hauntings and this and that. Uh, there's no real evidence for them, but they, they managed to turn it into uh, a you know, profitable horror film franchise. And one of the reasons, of course, is that horror films are very cheap to make. Um, you just need good special effects, or in some cases, you don't even need good special effects, like the, yeah. the, uh, the Blair Witch Project. Um, paranormal and, activity too, right? They just yeah, need par- a couple of couple of cameras. Exactly. No, you're exactly right. And so, so that's one of the reasons why uh, why these are so popular is they're they're very cheap to make, um, and there's the whole franchises. You know, the Saw, Final Destination, blah blah blah. There's a built-in audience for them, and so of course they're gonna you know capitalize on it and milk that cash cow. Yep, absolutely. Now, for the last myth, I wanted to ask you about. I wanted to get I wanted to get a little weird with it because this is one that is like it's a personal pet project of mine and I don't have enough information to do a full episode on it yet but someday I hope to. Uh have you heard of Tessie and the crazy stuff that goes along with Tessie? Uh you're referring to Tahoe Tessie. Yes. Yes, and like mob burial grounds, Jacques Cousteau, um <laughs> and like uh underground aquifers that that lead these lake monsters around. Okay, um, that's a, a fair question. The answer is um, uh, I have researched a little bit into Tahoe Tessie at, at Lake Tahoe. Uh, I did a book with Joe Nickel uh, titled Lake Monster Mysteries about, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago. And there's a, there's a very short section on, on, on Tessie. Um, I, I, it's been years since I've uh, done anything on, on, um, on Tessie. Uh, I, now that I'm thinking about it, I actually have a map of, uh, of, of Lake Tahoe that I bought in a tourist shop where I was buying something. I think I was buying a, a postcard on Tahoe Tessie. So um, uh, I, you probably know about more about Tahoe Tessie than I do off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, uh, I know that, you know, for example, the, the idea that there are underground uh, lakes and aquifers is, is very common uh, when you're talking about lake monsters. You know, that's been claimed uh, in the case of, of Loch Ness, uh, also in the case of Lake Champlain uh, going out into the, uh, uh, the, the Gulf of St. Lawrence and so on. Um, it's a little bit harder to argue, for example, with uh, Lake Okanagan, British Columbia, just because it's, it's so damn far from, 
you know, no lake monster is gonna, you know, is, is gonna spend two months. <laughs> yeah, just just going beneath the earth and these. Yeah, tunnels. that's you're you're gonna die long before you get there. So uh, anyway, so that that's the short answer. Is uh, I know some of Tahoe Tessie. Um, I'll be. Uh, I'll be really interested to hear what you, what you, what you find on it. So, yeah. 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 So far it's just been weird. You know, like I think that the, the thing, the part that interests me the most is this idea that Jean Cousteau um, did, did a dive in, uh, or I think he had a, a submersible in Tahoe, mm-hmm. uh, went down to the bottom and famously never released the footage because, you know, quote unquote, people were not ready to see what was down there. <laughs> uh, and, you know, there's the, the theory is that there's just a, a ton of bodies because it's it's a mob burial ground like i think it's godfather 2 the end right. the ending of godfather 2 they dump a body in tahoe and so it's just the idea that it's either this mob burial ground or he found sea monsters and that is just it's the best setup for a myth that i've heard in a long time and i wish i wish there was more about it interesting uh, no that's that i i'm i'm fascinated i'm uh, this is you've got me intrigued now i'll, I'll let you do it i i, I got <laughs> enough on my plate but uh no i i uh, i had heard um uh, i'd heard some version of the Cuso story um i i actually i think i heard it applied to a couple different places one was uh in, in i think it was in the pacific or something another one was was at tahoe where yeah you have this sort of this famous pioneer explorer who goes to some place where you and I can't go and and you know refuses to they're so shaken to their core that they refuse to to say what they saw and it, you know yeah it's just okay. like hey ah man such a great setup though such a great setup um, yeah well I look into it I, I I'll be um I, you know what here's what I'll do I again I don't think I have much on it I will look in my files and if I have anything I'll send it to you oh man excellent I'd love to I'd love to see that so I'm curious, you know, what drew you to lake monsters in the in the first place? Because I know that that's a very prevalent myth um, that's you know worldwide. Um. Yeah, you know, I I think probably um, you know before the chupacabra emerged in '95, you know, I was I was a a, a kid interested in monsters and um, you know weird things as 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 you are as many people are, um, and cryptids and and monsters particularly intrigued me because. Um, they were something that was tangible, right? I mean, they're, you know, I didn't really have much likelihood to, uh, to see, to see a UFO necessarily or, or, you know, find Atlantis or whatever else. But I had, you know, in my, in my teenage mind, I had some chance <laughs> of seeing Bigfoot or going to Inverness to see the, you know, the, the monster of routes. And so they always, the, so monsters always seem to be, uh, slightly closer to something that I could actually experience or verify or investigate. And the reason that I was drawn to Lake Monster specifically uh, is that, um, that uh, really for the same reason, that it, there seemed to be more likelihood that, that we could find them. They seemed to be more amenable to, uh, to investigation and proving they're real. Because, of course, in, in a lake, then they're in a lake, right? They're... It's a, it's a confined body of water, right? Unlike Bigfoot, which could presumably be anywhere, uh, any any wooded area or even non-wooded area. I mean, there 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 are you know some Bigfoot sightings here in New Mexico, uh, where we have uh, mostly desert, as you know. Yeah. Uh, but in the case of a lake monster, 
Um, and with the exception, as 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 you as you mentioned earlier, that there are some that claim that there's you know underground tunnels that blah blah blah. I mean, you can always make that argument, but for the most part, lake monsters are are presumably confined within a certain geographical space, and you you can that's where they are, right? I mean, they're, so they should be. If you search that lake enough, you should be able to prove that they either are there or aren't there. And so that was one thing that intrigued me was. Uh, just the, the their con, their supposed confined um, range. Yeah, it's and I think that they're just so iconic, and you know, there's there's so many people that have stories of seeing lake monsters because you know there are like there's just there's big fish and stuff in lakes, and it's some of these are so deep that we're never going to explore the bottom, or we're never going to be able to definitively say like, oh, there's nothing down there. Right. And I think because of the mystery surrounding the ocean and just how we're constantly discovering new things there, I think it's just, it ends up copying over to large bodies of water in general. And just, again, it's that whole idea that the dark places in the map get filled with monsters. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and again, that's one of the things, you know, if you're, you know, you would assume that if if there really are lakes in monsters, and and keep in mind, of course, that we're not just talking about one monster, right? If if they if these are real animals, uh, there has to be more than one of them, right? There's not just one Nessie, not just one Bigfoot. There certainly there there couldn't be if they're, you know, in the in the real world, uh, when you when you have a, when you have. He said advisedly, when you have a small enough population, they die out because they, they have to reproduce. They, they, you, you can't have seen the same Bigfoot in, you know, in 1830 that you saw in 2020. They, they have to die at some point. And so once you sort of frame it that way, then you say, okay, well, hold on here. So, you know, there's not just one Tahoe Tessie. There's, there, there can't just be one Champ or one Nessie or one Ogopogo. There would have to be... Um, hundreds thousands at some point and you're like well hold on here so the question isn't when we go to these lakes why don't we find you know why are we only finding 200 we would expect to see a thousand like no we're not even finding one it's it's yeah that's therein lies the rub here that's the problem is that is that there should there should be large populations of these in these confined lakes and we're not we should expect to find thousands or at least hundreds or at least dozens, we can't even find one of them. And yeah. Hey, hear me out though. What if, what if the females use these underground aquifers to shoot their eggs in and then they just go to other lakes? Okay. And then the well, young grow that. up and kill the old ones. So there's, there's, it's just like Highlander. There's only right. one. Well, no. And that's, you know, I, I like that actually. That's, that's a, that's a fair rebuttal. I'll grant you that. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it's fair, but you know, it is a rebuttal. <laughs> sure. No, no. It, let, let's go with it. You know, for all, they could be Duende eggs, right? I mean, who, who the hell, a toucan man. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, if we're going to open the, if we're going to open the book to anything, then let's, you know, let's throw them all in there. We'll yeah. Do a kitchen sink approach. I think that my favorite theory I've gotten from a guest before was that they were talking about it potentially being interdimensional creatures coming into these lakes through portals and then tracing that back through Native American mythology about places of power and things like that and that being how these creatures got here. And I, I was like, you know what? It's, it's far out. I love it. <laughs> like, Let's keep the mystery alive. <laughs> 
Yeah, and and look, I mean, I I love you know, I, I as you know, I, I love these sorts of things. I I, t- yeah. I take it seriously. I genuinely investigate. I don't just you know, I don't just poo poo or debunk. I'm genuinely interested in investigating these things. Uh, and I love all the weird stories and and whatever else. But at the end of the day, if we're going to be trying to scientifically prove them, then we have to apply Occam's razor, right? We have to apply the principle that all things being equal, the the explanation that requires um, the, the least number of things to be true is to be preferred. So is it possible that lake monsters are actually interdimensional beings that come in and out of, you know, others? Sure. That's possible. <laughs> yeah. It's not likely. Oh, anything, anything is possible, but the question really isn't what's possible. The question is what is probable? What, what does the evidence show? Um, and that's a very different question. So again, I, I, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm endlessly fascinated by, you know, wild theories and all this and that, and that they're cool and they're interesting, but at some point we have to say, okay, well, how are you going to prove that, right? This is, that's, that's an interesting idea. How would one possibly go about proving this one way or the other? And the answer is really, well, we can't. Like, well, then as a scientist, I can't do anything with that. Exactly. I mean, if I, it's not falsifiable, then you can't, yeah. you can't touch it. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, um, again, that's, that doesn't mean it's not interesting or we're talking about. It just means that if you're going to frame it as something to investigate uh, from other than a folkloric point of view, which, which again, is fine. I do that too. But if you're trying, if you're going to frame it as something to investigate, to try and solve the mystery, then we need to have falsifiable claims. We need to have some hypothesis that we can test, that we can say this is true, or this isn't true. And um, unfortunately, the the whole field is uh, is um, is lacking in those. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, thanks for coming on again. This has been so much fun. I I love talking to you every time because we can we can really get into some of the weird stuff, and I'm fascinated by your work. I can't wait to read your book too. Um, where can people where can people find your new book? Uh, what's what's the best way for them to purchase it for you? Well, uh, I always uh, I always ask people to try and seek out their local independent bookstore. Um, we are, as you may have heard, in a pandemic. However, so I, uh, unfortunately, this this is not the best time for that. So, um, uh, if you can't get it at your local independent bookstore, you can always go to Amazon.com. Uh, there's an ebook that's out. Um, actually, just came out a couple weeks ago. Um, and uh, yeah. Um, Big If True Adventures and Oddity. It's, uh, I think, $25 or something. It's got uh, 70 mysteries of all, all different types, uh, 70 photographs, 200 and some pages. Um, um, so, yeah, it's, uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm proud of it. I think it's a fun book, and, uh, and I hope people enjoy it. Yeah, and, you know, also promo, there's a website called Bookshop uh, that right now is giving some of the proceeds from its sales online to your local bookstores, and you can also have them shipped to your local bookstore to pick up. Yes. Uh, which is, which is great. So I've been loving bookshop and they, yes. they also do eBooks too, which is awesome. So, yes, uh, that I'm glad you, you mentioned that I've, I've got a couple things uh, through bookshop myself. And uh, mm-hmm. I also, I should, I uh, should not neglect to mention, I also have a podcast called squaring the strange um, that uh, we're now in our, our third year. Uh, we've, we've got a couple new episodes out. So if, if anyone's interested, you can check that out. Awesome. That's all we've got for episode four of season three. You know, we're getting them done. Uh, we still got to do our Leprechauns episode. 
Uh, it took it took a bit longer to get this one out because November was National Novel Writing Month, so I was busy and I couldn't edit and I couldn't record, but I swear we will get on recording the Leprechauns one next. And then we also have a special crossover episode coming up with Cinema Esoterica. And if you haven't listened to them, they're amazing, but I am going to have the host of that podcast on and we're going to talk about the movie Tremors. He's going to break down the film. I'm going to break down how it compares to the Mongolian Deathworm myth. Uh, that's that's not one you're going to want to miss. That's going to be a really good one. So I hope that Leprechauns will be out I, I'm maybe before the end of the year, maybe not the holidays. It's weird this year. But either way, I hope you all have a safe holidays, and uh, see you next time.